We are pleased today to have as our guest on Innovation Generation, Blake Imason. Blake is a 2010 graduate of Grove City College. You graduated with a degree in entrepreneurship. And Blake, you and I have been friends for a long time now. So glad that you could join us and that you're here back in Grove City. Uh, you've spoken a couple of my classes this morning. Uh, it's really great to have you back on campus where you can reconnect with friends during this homecoming time and to uh, to share your story. So thanks for being with us today. It's a blast, Tim. Thanks for having me. Welcome to Innovation Generation, a podcast of the Center for Entrepreneurship and Innovation at Grove City College, where we hear the inspiring stories of entrepreneurs and explore the hopefulness of entrepreneurial thinking wherever we find it. I'm your host, Tim Sweet, and this is Innovation Generation. The kind of business that you're in is very interesting, Blake. Mm -hmm. You have been drawn to the world of web development and and other types of technologies uh, for a while. But um, I'd like to start by just hearing a little bit about your story. Mm. Uh, when you back, you know, 13 years ago, you came to Grove City. Tell us a little bit about what you were looking for and why you chose entrepreneurship as a major. Sure. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial family. Uh, my dad started a bunch of businesses and I got to see what that looks like, you know, in the trenches. I got to be pulled into late night work sessions and, and see the joys of it and also the, the difficulties and the, the trauma. <laughs> yeah. um, and so I knew in high school that I wanted to start something. And I'd, I'd experimented with little businesses here and there, you know, classic lemonade stand and selling stuff on eBay and a little bit of woodworking and all that stuff. Sure. But um, so I, I knew I wanted to go into something entrepreneurial. And when it came time to evaluate, like, what do I do for college? I, I wasn't sure I even wanted to go. But then I found out there's this thing called an entrepreneurship degree. And it blew my mind. It was like, this will give me a, a reason to go to college and, and learn something rather than just starting a business. Um, right. Yeah. So when you came to Grove City, you, you were looking at programs that actually had an entrepreneurship degree. Was there much out there on the horizon back then? I think it was mostly just like Babson and Grove City. And uh, I wanted a you know, Christian liberal arts school, and yeah. it was perfect. Uh, I, I knew it was, it was the one very early on when I found it. Um, yeah, now it's more common. Um, back then, there was a lot of eyebrows raised, like a degree in entrepreneurship. Like, yeah. that seems ironic. How does that even make sense? Like, what do you do with that? And your dad even thought that maybe you didn't even need to go to college. Is that right? Right. He was kind of hoping I wouldn't, uh, you know, just start a business. He, he kind of thought he might do that as well growing up, and he went into a ended up doing a college degree in accounting. Huh. Um, so um, he would have been totally happy if I just went into um, business directly. But he, he was excited when I found the program, and uh, they're very encouraging and, and supportive. Yeah. yeah. If you had taken that path as a young man, not going to college, mm -hmm. just saying, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn uh, entrepreneurial skills and business skills on my own under the tutelage of my father, mm -hmm. Um, and on my own, um, do you think you'd have ended up where you are today? For sure, no. Um, part of that would be coming here, of course, exposed me to like 
SEO and e-commerce and these various web things. I never thought I'd go into that. I thought it would be like home construction and woodworking. Yeah. Um, so th- there was exposure to new stuff that I hadn't previously considered. Uh, as well, all the peers that were doing entrepreneurial things was very motivating. And yeah. we all kind of had a you know incubation of ideas and sharing of things and um, driving and pushing each other towards, uh, towards stuff. So that and then... Um, I mean, frankly, the network that you get by coming to a college and then, um, like, all the various external things you can get involved in that, that help give you the boots-on-the-ground entrepreneurial yeah. experiences, interns and internships and such. Um, I would have not been able to replicate those just going solo right out of the gate. Yeah. Yeah. There was a community here. Right. There still is a community here, a very robust yeah. entrepreneurship mm-hmm. community here. And uh, you're still a part of that, which is really fun for us. We get to communicate with you and to, you actually help the uh, entrepreneurship program with some web development services, don't you? Yes. Uh, the original GCCentrepreneurship.com, I helped build that way yeah. long ago. And uh, I think we host the current version of it. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> Any, anytime we have a web issue, you're, we get a hold of you and you've right. been very yep. supportive yep. through the years. <laughs> yeah. So, Blake, uh, I want to take Take everybody back to those those college days. It may seem like a long time ago. It doesn't seem like a long time ago to me. But uh, back in 2008, 2009, yeah. the internet was really starting to come into maturity. Right. right. Social media was, at least Facebook was four or five years old at that mm-hmm. point. There were other social media platforms that were emerging. But it was still a very, um, very early time for the internet. What right. we see now is not what it was back then, even yeah. though what we had at that time was fairly robust and right. accessible. Take it for granted now. We do. We do. We just assume a lot at, the, at this point. Mm-hmm. But uh, cell phones were fairly new, in ter- at least in terms of smartphones. Right. Uh, 2007, the iPhone come out. And, mm-hmm. and most students didn't have uh, iPhones at that point, smartphones. Right. So you start taking some classes from me, right? I, I was a part-time professor mm-hmm. at that time teaching yep. e-commerce and uh, internet entrepreneurship. And uh, you seem to gravitate to that. And that's, that's where you and I connected fairly mm-hmm. quickly. And I saw in you at that time uh, a spark, a spark of inspiration and uh, a drive to play with this thing mm-hmm. called the web and to make something that was valuable sure. out of yep. it for yourself. Tell us a little bit about some of your early experiments. That that was actually kind of fun. Yeah. I mean, first off, the web and technology are just perfect grounds for entrepreneurship. You know, there's yeah. so much innovation and entrepreneurship is often about combining things. So it's perfect for that. Um, so early on, you got me hooked on WordPress. I started a WordPress blog, and uh, ended up doing pretty well with traffic on that one, and that that got me very excited about the possibility of building websites and uh, helping people, you know, get those websites to rank and be successful. I remember issuing a challenge to students in class just to go out and see if you could create some content, and uh, I would give a wing night to uh, some of the mm-hmm. winners of right. that. You actually yep. ended up ranking for. 
uh, a phrase in Google that kind of really was kind of interesting. Yeah, there, there's a, a website that was around Facebook statuses, which was super, <laughs> super geeky. That's going back uh, a few years. Yeah, I, I was trying to explain it to classes earlier, and I think they were like, what do you mean? You can't just put whatever you want in the status thing. Right, yeah. It's just so foreign. But it was very different at that time. You had to put your Facebook status in in a certain format. And so I started this site that collected all the funny and clever ways that people would use that. And uh, unexpectedly, people search in Google for that kind of thing. And then before I knew it, the site was getting like tens of thousands of visits. Um, yeah, it, was, it was pretty weird and unexpected, but I ended up – I might have gotten second technically in that class. Uh, I'm not sure. Hunter Stewart with his NFL mock draft blog may yeah, have, that was may a have good beat one me too. on that one. But, <laughs> but uh, you still got a wing night. You got several wing yeah, nights out of yeah. that one, right? But um, so did you even think, hey, there's money flowing now in this industry and how can I be a part of that? How can I find a way not only to create value but maybe to drive revenue as well? Right. I I got into some consulting gigs early on. Um, I think you and a couple other people that had come and spoken in classes very kindly connected me to potential clients and an internship and um, – when I started to actually get paid to do this stuff, it was like a light bulb moment. It's mm. like, I love this stuff. It's fun. Um, and also, I'm getting paid and people value it. And it's growing their businesses. That, that was uh, pretty encouraging. And kind of that, those successes became addictive. And it's like, oh, okay, I can, I can see myself doing this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you actually were able to earn some income as mm -hmm. a student. Yeah. Um, uh, doing some web development, yeah. some search engine optimization mm -hmm. for clients. And then, you know, graduation is coming up. And what made you say, you know, I'd like to take the leap and I think I can build my own brand around this. Right. So senior year, I had, I don't know, five to 10 small clients mm -hmm. and uh, it was going well. And um, I knew I needed to do a business plan for the business plan competition. Yeah. And so I was in the class and I was like, well, I'll just take that and, and make that the business plan. Um, I didn't really expect I would do well with it. Um, I thought this is just a good way to you know, keep pushing what I'm doing for the business and learn some stuff and sure. form out a plan. Um, I wasn't sure at that moment if I would actually do that going out the gate. Mm -hmm. But um, by the end of the business plan competition, I was pretty much like, all right, I'm going for this full bore not not looking back, not taking a career. I'm going to try this and see how it goes. Yeah. I mean, the, you had choices, didn't you? Mm -hmm. I mean, you you could have gone to the corporate world. You could have yeah. – uh, you had an offer from a search engine optimization company, right? Yep. right? Yeah, I, I could have taken the career out and it was tempting. Um, that security and steady paycheck, uh, it's tantalizing. and But it, it just – that wasn't what I wanted. That wasn't the vision I had for my life of, you know, independence and being kind of – um, much more intimately involved in how well I do or don't do. Yeah. Um, I was up for the risks and the rewards of that direction. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So here you are, 22 years old. Mm -hmm. You're going to launch a company. And tell us a little bit about the name uh, because it's an interesting name. Sure. <laughs> yeah. So Lime Cuda, um, when we were in the business plan competition um, naming portion, we're like, all right, what's something that represents agility and nimbleness and speed? Mm -hmm. uh, this, that's how we visualize ourselves as a company. Sure. We had this idea about us. So we came up with Barracuda. Well, that's taken. There's already a tech company there. Right. How about Cuda? 
Well, that domain name's taken, of course. Mm-hmm. So it was very Web 2.0 to just smash two words together. So uh, we decided to come up with a color. So we were like orange CUDA, blue CUDA, teal CUDA, came up with lime CUDA. And we're like, all right, this fits. It's, you know, memorable. Right. can have a cool color scheme. Yeah. Um, it doesn't really mean anything, but uh, we'll go for it. And, and it's stuck. Yep. Great. So what, what happened in the early years? You're, here you are, graduated from college, mm-hmm. you start this company. You're not married yet, but right. that's on the horizon. Right. Um, I mean, that's a, that's a risk, right? Right. It, it was pretty scary. Um, my, my wife was very patient and gracious. And um, I said, if, if this fails and I truly can't make this work, I'll, uh, I'll take a job somewhere and figure out how to do it. But she had a job that um, at least supported our uh, apartment and some food. <laughs> and, um, so we survived that first year. And then um, I made very little money that first year. And second year, made a little bit more. And eventually, it, it was big enough that she was able to quit her job. And I just did it full time. Um, yeah. Fantastic. So as you started to grow your company, you were started working with smaller businesses mm-hmm. and some nonprofits. Yep. Um, this did you start to think, hey, let's let's start to look for some opportunities that maybe are outside of the small business realm that might yield uh, a little more opportunity from a development standpoint? De- definitely didn't have some clear vision at the beginning yeah. that has led us to where we are now. Yeah. Um, there's been at least three pivots during that time. Mm-hmm. Started out thinking we wanted to do sites just for small business and entrepreneurs yeah. and uh, realized we are difficult clients. Uh, we very much want to get in all, our hands all in things and make decisions and think we know best. Uh, yeah. And also budgets tend to be tighter, understandably. In a, so, in a startup, that's just natural. Right, right exactly. So we, we did that for a few years and that was good and learning experience. But then um, we did get connected to do a blog for a Fortune 500 company. Wow. We definitely were hitting above our weight level at that point. Like, we should not have been given that project, but we were, and we did a good job with it. And then um, that was our first taste of kind of enterprise and larger work, and it, it was great. And we were like, this is, um, this is wonderful. They have larger budgets. They're not all up in the process. They trust you as an expert. Mm-hmm. They're willing to just say, hey, what do you think we should do? Do it. Um, so since then, each year we've tried to move more up market. And um, I'd say right now our specialty is enterprise, B2B for tech companies. Fantastic. Yeah. So that has evolved over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Is that correct? Yeah. So um, wh- where do you go from here? What kinds of projects? Wh- what do you see the growth of the, of the yeah. business? What, what's happening from here? So uh, maybe five years ago, six years ago, we took a pretty crucial pivot of deciding we needed more recurring revenue. Okay. It was very taxing to yeah. build a site and move on, build right. a site and move on. Like you have to do that a bunch of times a year in order to make a living. And so as we were doing more corporate sites and enterprise level sites, mm-hmm. they had a need for ongoing work and help. So what we did was we came up with kind of a retainer model and approach, um, which a lot of people were doing. Sure. Um, it wasn't an innovative, but uh, where we would build a site and then we would be there monthly with a certain number of hours to help the client fix things and evolve things. And 
that worked really well. And a lot of those clients we've had in a retainer model for, you know, six, seven, eight years now. And uh, we've just found that's a, been a great fit. So that's kind of where we're at now. Our next pivot is probably um, might be a technological pivot. We've been doing traditional WordPress sites. Sure. Um, there's now this approach called headless where it's a traditional WordPress backend, and this this whole JavaScript front end. Yeah. It's a little bit beyond me, frankly. Uh, my business partner is the the dev guy now, and yeah. uh, he he understands it. So we've um, we're about to launch our third site in this platform approach on Monday, and I think that's probably where we're headed um, as a company because it's very fast websites and it's um, uh, super friendly for how Google wants a right. site to be. So. That would be another big leap, and that would take us even further up market because it's a more expensive way to build and de- develop. But yeah. I think headless WordPress might be our next pivot. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. So you often go head-to-head with much larger companies that are competing for mm-hmm. the business of the, some of these corporations and right. companies that need some sophisticated work done. Mm-hmm. Um, what? How do you stay so nimble in the process because it's you and your business partner, but you don't have other employees, right? Right. It's just the two of us and then um, depending on the season, five to seven subs and people that we can call on that specialize. Um, so that that nimbleness and low overhead has allowed us to weather storms better. Um, it's been hard to figure out how to scale it, frankly, but it's, yeah. it's a um, – a little bit a step above like a lifestyle business. It's, it's doing well. It, it's kind of tugging at the edges of wanting to scale. And we've been very cautiously trying to figure out how to do that while still having, you know, high level of service and right. not losing our minds. Right. Um, is, is the additional profit worth the, the risk? We're, we've kind of been very slowly and cautiously well, toying with that. Well, that sounds like a sensible approach, but it, there are some difficult decisions you have to make along right. the way. And how do yeah. we... If you if a big project came along, mm-hmm. how would you scale up to that? Exactly. Yeah. So, so I mean, sometimes when we've gotten projects that are more than we could handle, I mean, at this point we have a, a stable of a lot of experts that we can pull from. There's a lot of people that are working independently, especially graphic designers or sure. people that do UI UX stuff. Um, yeah. So we've been able to pull people in and say. We have this hired gun that we're going to bring in under our brand. Yeah. They're going to lead design on the site, and they work very closely with the client. That's been a good way to scale up. And then once the project's done, we can scale down and, you know, just our, we have our monthly retainers. And, yeah. But we at any one time, we probably have, you know, three to eight fairly reasonable-sized web projects we're balancing. It's just they're normally launching at different parts of the year and sure. you can kind of maintain some sanity. Yeah, that's that's good. It's good for your family too. Right. You can maintain yeah. some sanity. Exactly. Right. Because you have you have three boys at home, right? Yep. Three boys ages three to ten and then another boy on the way in December. Fantastic. Well, there's there's a development team that's up and coming right there for you, Blake. Yeah, I'm trying to figure out how to get the oldest to figure out typing skills and then also <laughs> There's some creative problem-solving apps I want him to try and see. I think he might have a proclivity to that kind of thing. So I'm trying to figure out, like, is this something he'd be interested in? Because it's a hard business to bring kids into. Um, yeah, I was part of a bunch of businesses growing up, mm-hmm. and it was easier to pull me in because they were in the real world. I was a cashier, and I right. could, you know, in the digital space, I think it's going to be more challenging. But I'm going to see if I can bring it in as a family business still. We'll see how it goes. Your dad did that for you. Mm-hmm. 
And yeah. that helped to spark an entrepreneurial vision yeah. in you. So oh, it was crucial. Yeah. So for my kids, I'm trying to figure out if I can't do it or they're not interested in design or development, could I send them to, you know, go, some of my friends have other businesses. Could they start yeah. to figure out what they like there and see, do they have an entrepreneurial bent? Do they want to start something in a certain direction? So my hope is I can provide them with a variety of experiences because when you're young and even in college, you don't know what you want to do. And sometimes it's only by trying a bunch of things do you, do you find out what's a fit for me, what kind of drives me and gives me that spark. Um, very few people know that early on. You have to try and get messy and fail and, yeah. There are some students that are listening to this podcast that are maybe in that place right now just wondering, I don't really know what I want to do with my life. I don't know what major I want to study in college. I don't know what career path yeah. I want to go down. They're maybe feeling pressure to do that. Any advice for students like that beyond what you've already said, which is fantastic? Oh, man. Well, don't give in to the paralysis. Uh, mm. That's part of it is, you know, if, if there's a whole variety of choices or none stick out, the worst thing is not doing anything. What you should be doing is trying things, you know, make mistakes, try this internship, try that, especially when you're young and even into your 20s. Like that's the time to um, try different fields and do an internship. And, you know, the worst thing you can do is inaction waiting for the right opportunity to come to you. So it just, probably just do won't, stuff. It probably won't just drop right. out of the sky. Right. It's a myth. Like yeah. get out there. Do and stuff. I actually saw that in you as a student. You were always trying things. Mm -hmm. I see you doing that in your business mm -hmm. all the time, yeah. taking risks, stretching a little bit beyond into um, or out of your comfort zone. Oh, for sure. Yeah. And yeah. we have plenty of endeavors that have kind of failed. And, you know, you learn something from them and, and realize here's what we should be doing. Here's what we shouldn't doing. Here's why this worked. Here's why it didn't. And those inform future decisions. Like some of the, um, we, we've tried to build certain products for a certain niche before mm. and it flopped. Well, that's been helpful because as we've evaluated other niches, we can say, here's why it didn't work here. It might work here. And uh, I think just cultivating a, uh, a sense of not letting failure be a dirty word for you, that's, mm. that's crucial for the entrepreneur. And our culture sometimes doesn't allow for that, right? Mm -hmm. Right. How do we, we reward people who succeed. They get A's. They, right. they get all the right answers or most of the right answers. We reward that. But failure is, is looked on uh, with some measure of disdain. But right. for the entrepreneur, that's a little different, isn't it? Right. That, that's a disease that you're bringing to entrepreneurship if you have that. Mm. Um, I think this is ironically really hard for gifted students and type A and those that did extremely well in high mm. school and everyone was affirming them that they've got it made and they figured it out and you're doing so great. Then they get to college in the real world and they have to evaluate, I'm about to make choices where there's a high likelihood I'm going to fail or stumble. And that's very scary because their whole identity has been built around this perfection and doing well. So sometimes I think it's a 
the C students or whatever that have an easier time getting into entrepreneurship because you have to work harder as a type A person to say, you know what, I'm going to be okay with the fact that this may not work and I'm not going to worry about other people judging me. Mm. I'm just going to go for it and see what happens. And if it doesn't work, then you've learned something. I mean, everyone yeah. points to the Edison example. You have right. to just, you have to try things. Yeah. Fantastic. That's great advice. So, Blake, as you look out over the digital landscape mm-hmm. and what's going on in web development and um, the, the whole digital media industry, um, there's a game changer going on right now, right? Oh, yeah. what, yep. what is AI doing in the digital space as, mm-hmm. as you've experienced it so far? And what do you think? Is, are there some opportunities there? What do you think? Totally. Uh, so just like the web was a massive leap forward, yeah. AI is going to be. And just like with the web, it came with all kinds of moral difficulties and questions and right. what's appropriate and what's not and how do we use this thing? How much screen time is too much? Are you on Instagram all yeah. the day, Facebook all the day? Like, We're comes, still asking those right. questions, <laughs> we right? We haven't figured out that. Um, AI is, is a, it's a wild west, just like the internet yeah. was you know, 20, 30 years ago. So I'm very excited because um, it's presenting new opportunities. The path hasn't been charted yet. People haven't figured out how can and should this be used. Right. I think the important thing is it's a tool. And if it is a hammer, you shouldn't be trying to use it as a screwdriver. You right. know, like there's certain places where it's going to be great and other places where it's not the right tool for the job. Yeah. Yeah. Have you started to experiment with AI tools in your business? I, I have a bit. Um, some of my developer, more tech-oriented friends have been really pushing, and yeah. we kind of talk and share what we're doing. So I, I've experimented with um, mid-journey for AI image mm-hmm. generation, and that's mind-blowing, the yeah. images it can come up with. It. Um, they're so realistic. Um, so I think that's going to be really helpful for the web because stock photography is awful. It always looks staged. Right. There's consent issues. And um, I think that's going to be a game changer as well. Um, chat GPT, of course, sure. being able to put in questions and it help you come up with an answer or evaluate code or data. Um, it's a phenomenal time for this because no one's figured it out and figured how best to use it. Huge opportunities. Yeah. So you've actually experimented with specific requests to mm-hmm. ChatGPT, and has that yielded some great results for you? Yeah. It's it's not something that I think of as a habit. Um, I'm trying to force myself to consider, could AI help me with this problem? Uh, but the other day was kind of a breakthrough moment for me. We had this you know set of redirects that we needed to do, you know, this is where this page lived. Now it needs to be here. And the, the technology we were using for creating these redirects required a different format that we weren't really familiar with. And it was going to be a lot of hand curation and changing from this CSV document to this JSON formatted thing. Uh, so I asked ChatGPT, here's what we have. How do we get it to this? And it gave this beautiful answer with like, how do you generate it and compile it and then it does this and whole list of how to right it was yeah. great it was like I, t- I told my partner like this is super helpful this solved it i mean we would have maybe found an answer in sure. google but it was exactly what we needed the ai knew what we were trying to do hmm. then the next day i realized i'm not thinking creatively enough about this so i i asked the ai i said based on what i asked above take this list of redirects and turn it into this format 
I didn't know what would happen. And it did it. It just started typing it out right wow. in front of me. It was just mind-blowing. It was one of these light bulb moments. It's like this just saved us hours of time, and the output was perfect. There wasn't like a stray semicolon in the mix or whatever. Um, yeah. For those who aren't as familiar with the need for redirects, mm -hmm. that's something that you have to consider when you develop a new site, right. when you move uh, in, onto a new platform. Mm -hmm. You have yeah. different naming conventions for the pages. Why is that so important? Right. So if you have a website that has all these pages that Google has ranking and then you rebuild the site and those pages don't exist, Google follows that URL, mm. it's an error page, and will be like, oh, the content's gone. Yeah. Let's yank the rankings. Right. Um, and then if someone's emailed that link to someone or you mm -hmm. know, your salespeople have sent it on or whatever, right. if a user visits that, it's also a 404 page and they're just going to ditch. They're like, what is this? This site's broken. Yeah. Um, so it's very crucial that when you rebuild a site, if the URLs change or something goes missing, you redirect one from the other, one to the other. And um, that's something that, frankly, a lot of web dev companies skip on because it's annoying work and it's tedious and you might be balancing hundreds or even thousands of redirects. Yeah. And uh, but, but it's extraordinarily crucial because if you launch a new site, you could immediately tank a bunch of rankings and traffic. So right. it's a key part of our rebuild process is making sure redirects don't get fumbled. Yes. And so ChatGPT was able to actually create this um, script for you? Was yeah. it a script? Well, so it initially created a, a script and gave instructions for what yeah. to do and how to process, but then it just did the work itself. Really? Like I watched it on the screen, you know, take this, it was just two simple um, spreadsheet columns, and then it, it wrapped it all in this code and had all the formatting exactly perfect. Wow. Um, and then I noticed some of the URLs didn't have an ending slash on it, but not all of them. Well, that also is something I would normally do by hand or, you know, you could maybe come up with some way. I just said to it, any URL that doesn't end in this, add it. And it just rewrote it within, a, you know, 10 seconds. And, yeah, it, it's mind-blowing. Almost every developer that I screen share with has ChatGPT as an open tab, and they're referencing it and asking it questions and trying to evaluate mm. their code. It, it's not going to replace them. Right. It requires a lot of wisdom to use correctly. Sure. But it's helping them do their job way more efficiently and effectively. And so you you save time, they save time, mm -hmm. and that only ultimately saves your clients some billable hours, right? Exactly, yeah. yeah. We're more efficient and effective. Um, the client just wants the best possible result, and I think a lot of times ChatGPT is going to let us do that. Yeah. Yeah. Very interesting stuff. Yeah. So, Blake, um, you, your role at LimeCuda um, is one of client management, right? Mm -hmm. you, you didn't uh, start the company as a programmer. Uh, you had played with development, of course, and right. knew a lot about the tools. But um, tell us a little bit about your sweet spot and, and where your contribution is in this company that you founded. Sure. Yeah. So uh, from the beginning, I had to wear all the hats. Um, yeah. I still have to wear quite a few. Yeah. But um, so I had to pretend to be a developer and I had to use Google and learn stuff. And um, I knew that I needed to move out of that because as we did more and more complex sites and difficult sites, it just it was pushing the edges of what I wanted to learn mm -hmm. or felt like I was capable of learning. Yeah. Um, so these days, I'd say I, I work mostly in a 
customer relationship management kind of capacity, yeah. both in sales, during a project, and after a project, um, which is a, a more natural fit. Like I like working and helping people. Um, I'm not a salesman, and that that part I've had to figure out an approach that works for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, maybe not in the way that we sometimes stereotype salespeople. Mm-hmm. You know, the the big talker, the risk taker, the the people person, the right. glad hander. However, you want to f- frame it, you're more of an introvert, for sure. Yeah. But I, I see in you, and I've I've seen this. I saw this when you were a student. I see it now. Uh, you really deeply care about your clients mm-hmm. and the goals that they're trying to accomplish. How does that caring, that kind of that nurturing spirit um, that is so genuine, how does that help you build your business? Yeah. Uh, so we definitely don't do that perfectly, but we're always trying to remember our, you know, biblically grounded roots and values. Yeah. Of this is what we are supposed to be and what we're called to be and do to others as you would have them do to you. And so when we approach clients and their problems, we try and be very empathetic and mm-hmm. just be frank with them and, and lead them in a, in a helpful and caring, you know, frankly, loving sort of way. And, and that's worked out well. And that's why we have a number of clients that we've had for over a decade now. And um, they've, they've had us rebuild the site several times as wow. tech has changed and their brand has changed. Um, I think it's more common in our industry that someone builds a site and it was awkward, and they kind of fumbled it at the end, and then they got to move to a different agency, and then they yeah. just keep trying. Um, by having a sometimes painful frankness and just being willing to tell the client, here's what you need and don't need, here's what we can do and not do, I think that's really helped us maintain relationships over the years. And that says a lot. You know, longevity in a business like this is right. really telling about the kind of deep relationship, deep business relationship that you tend to foster with Lime Cuda. Yeah. I mean, that approach of kind of word of mouth or relationship marketing, it's, mm-hmm. that's a long game and yeah. uh, it takes some time to build up steam. And man, there were some years that were, were pretty tough and we almost threw in the towel. But now, you know, we have almost 14 years of relationships. And there's this weird phenomenon now where like some people that they were, you know, at a certain level in a company eight years ago, and then they moved to another company, and they, they said, hey, we know these guys, and then now, like, they're a CMO at another company. And so we've had uh, certain clients that have brought us in on multiple other projects if they, as they've moved around in their career. They've kind of been salespeople for us, which wow. is so fascinating and um, yes. very strange. You've decentralized your sales force. Right, exactly. <laughs> Some of them are raving fans, and yeah. it's been cool. That's awesome. Well, Blake, we are uh, just so proud of you here at Grove City for the work that you're doing and the kind of good and the kind of impactful work that is happening for so many clients all across the the country. Your clients aren't just located in Michigan where you're located. Mm -hmm. I mean, they're everywhere, are they not? Right. Yeah. We actually don't have too many local and wherever I've lived hasn't been a a source of of that. yeah, just because of that word of mouth nature of things, uh, mm-hmm. they're all over. Um, and some are even different countries, and that, that's been fun. Yeah. So if people do want to find you, they don't have to go all the way to Michigan. Right. They can simply go to limecuda.com. Exactly. Yep. They can check out some of the work that you're doing. Yep. You have a very nice portfolio out there. Uh, 
the the uh, the kind of sophistication that you're delivering for clients has been is it's really impressive Thanks. to see. So, thank you, Blake, for for coming on the show today. We're grateful you have a great story to tell, and we look forward to seeing many great things from Lime Cuda and from Blake Imason in the years to come. My pleasure. Thank you, Tim. Thanks and for being such a great friend of the college and of our entrepreneurship program here oh, at Grove you know, City. You know, I'm a huge advocate of the program. Yes. You, evangelist, even. Yes, yeah, so uh, customer evangelist. That's yeah, right. the, the program's amazing now. I mean, when I was getting into it, it was on the forefront and trying to figure out what it is. It's it's so mature now and a, a podcast. Like, I wouldn't yeah, even imagine yeah. that we would have a, a podcast. So. Lots of great things going it's on. Amazing. Lots of great students here our, and our faculty. They just love working with our students. And, you know, I think early in my teaching career, it was students like you that were so engaged and wanting to help and wanting to have an impact on the world. That inspired me mm-hmm. as a professor. And uh, I know that all my fellow professors feel the same way, that um, we love to work with our students, but we love to see what happens in their hearts. And for you, Blake, right. you're just a shining example of what God can do in someone's heart who just wants to help, who wants to have an impact, who wants to try things. Amazing things will happen in that process. So thank you again. Thanks, Tim. For all that you're doing and for being with us today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today on Innovation Generation. We're glad you could join us and we invite you to come back for more episodes. To contact us, you can find us at gccentrepreneurship.com or you can follow us on social media at GCC Entrepreneur.